Chris Scalzo here with Matt Howell. And on this episode of The First Around, Matt and I are going to discuss It Chapter 2. The return of everybody's psychotic, demonic, but I guess not demonic, clown is here. We'll see if the film is as successful, perhaps even better than Chapter 1. I'm going to share my thoughts about The Nightingale, which is the latest film from Jennifer Kent, who previously brought us to Babadook. And then our French New Wave Marathon continues with Shoot the Piano Player. Will this be the week that Matt is on board with our French New Wave Marathon? And then we're going to discuss what we think are our five favorite horror movie posters. Let's start everything off, though, with a clip from It, Chapter 2. When uh, Mike called me, I threw up. When Mike called me, I crashed my car. Seriously? Yeah. Man, I hear you. I mean, my heart was literally, like, pounding right out of my chest. I thought it was only me. It was like pure fear. It's fear. Why do we all feel like that, Mike? You remember something we don't, don't you, Mike? Something happens to you when you leave this town. Farther away, the hazier it all gets. But me, I never left. So yeah, I remember all of it. Pennywise. So Matt, why don't you tell everybody what is Pennywise up to this time? From the events of the last film, the Losers Club, um, they defeated it and he went into his hibernation. 27 years later, they're called back by the one who left stayed behind. They had forgotten pretty much everything that had happened, which is, I guess, what happens with it as you get older. But they come back to try and keep it from uh, killing more children and then maybe get rid of it once and for all. So was this a, a fitting end, Matt, to the first <clears throat> film? Do you think everything kind of comes together ni- nicely? Is it a great adaptation of King's book, which I believe you've read, but not for quite some time, correct? Right. Yeah, so I read it probably t- at least 25 years ago, which is really weird to say. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't remember a whole lot about the book. I do remember that the ending was ridiculous, and I think they they avoid some of it. Like there's no mystical giant turtle. So that's something, but now I've, I've heard too that the end, I haven't read it, but I've heard that the ending is not terribly good. And one of the things I appreciate about the film too, is that they do take jabs at Stephen King about the playful ones. Yeah, they do. Um, And I haven't, I don't think I've read any of his books actually. Full disclosure, I cannot read. Uh, (laughs) Is that a theme for him that sometimes he doesn't always stick the landing in his books or is it just because of it? Yeah, that is a theme from for him. He's not known. He's known for kind of really establishing really living characters. Like he he describes them in such a way that you believe that they're like real people. And he really describes kind of the mundane things of life. Very um, like his worlds just seem very lived in. But his um, his ability to stick the landing on his books is I don't even think he does it half the time. The end of the original stand which they didn't include in the, in the, the TV adaption. I'm curious if they'll see included in the first one is that the literal hand from God, a, a hand glowing hand comes out of the clouds and like smites the got bad guys off of the face of the earth. So spoiler yeah, spoiler alert guys for a 40 year old novel, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, he's, he's not known 
for sticking the landings. And I did appreciate that. I thought that was pretty funny. I think even his cameo in it, uh, where he's talking about not liking the ending, I thought was pretty clever. Mm -hmm. But as far as this goes, 90s miniseries, which, you know, inexplicably has a lot of love, it didn't end particularly well. And I have to say that this one doesn't particularly end particularly well either. I was hoping it would be a lot scarier because it's involving adults as opposed to children. So they'd be a little more prone to go do something uh, shocking, maybe. And I think that does happen. I mean, I think there are some things that they don't, that, you wouldn't have expected them to go to. I mean, there are some kid deaths in this that are relatively graphic, but for the most part, it's overstuffed. I mean, I don't, I didn't, uh, I I did, especially the whole kind of flashback scenes. I think a lot of them, they just didn't work. I I don't know if if they just seemed, they seemed superfluous. Yeah. I think that's slightly fair. Uh, I didn't think the film was terribly great. I didn't. But I enjoyed it a lot. I actually mm-hmm. had a lot of fun with it. Okay. For me, it's more of kind of a haunted funhouse than a terrifying horror film. Right. Uh, I actually rewatched the original one the, the day or so before, and I thought it was actually a lot scarier than this conclusion was. Yeah. Also, I'm watching it with my headphones at dark in the night by myself, which kind of adds to the uh, ambiance of all that. Mm-hmm. But overall, I think it's mostly successful. I think we're dealing with a lot of themes here, right? There are trauma and it's after effects and what happens if you don't deal with the, that trauma. It's There's also a weird thing that I'm not, I'm, I'm still struggling with is the opening return of Pennywise. Mm-hmm. And it's blatant kind of miss i don't know if it's mishandling but really just torture of a of a uh, a gay gentleman right i mean it really yeah. is brutal so, for some reason i'm not quite sure of i believe that's in the book though right it is in the book and so that is based off of a real event a gay man i think in 1984-85 was essentially he was beaten within an inch of his life he had asthma in front of his lover or friend i'm not sure which one it was right. or boyfriend or whatever and then he was thrown over a bridge where he drowned so that actually happened in Bangor, Maine right around the time that King was writing it so he was so affected by it that he put it into the novel basically unchanged just changing the names and obviously filling in some of the details but I mean it's essentially something that happened and he wanted to put it in there to kind of show the um, kind of pervasive evil presence and effect that it is having on the town Mm -hmm. all right I guess so. I just, I don't know. It just felt a little jarring and out of place for me for some reason, which is weird because he, it goes around killing and eating children. So right. I don't seem to bat an eye at that. So I, don't <laughs> I don't know what that says about you. <laughs> yeah, I clearly know where my sympathies lie. Right. So there also found some kind of maybe some weak moments in the script, some ideas and avenues that they pursued don't quite work. Perhaps like you're saying, those flashbacks as you're right. trying to collect those totems of their youth. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I enjoyed the fun jabs at Stephen King as well, but I think for me, maybe even the highlight of the film is an homage to possibly the greatest horror film of all time. Oh, the, the, yeah. When I saw it, when he goes, you gotta be, you know, effing kidding me. I was like, wow, they went there. They went there. (laughs) So in fact, you can go ahead. I'm going to slap an explicit tag on this show because one of the clips we're going to use later has so profanity in it. And I think everybody will appreciate the stinger. Yeah. So, Overall, though, as I said, I enjoyed it. I actually had a lot of fun with this. It's not great. It's not terribly scary. It actually is kind of funny in some some realms as well. Does Bill Hader steal the film like everybody says? No, 
He's I mean, I think it. he's my he's my favorite part. He's my favorite actor out of all of the losers. But you didn't walk out thinking like, "My God, Bill Hader, this is a revelation." No, I think it's like I, I the most fun I had watching that film was when Bill Hader was on the screen. But yeah. I here's the thing: if you haven't watched Barry about his his hitman who decides to become an actor, it is so good. That is a that is a revelation. Watch that. I gotta. Ha- I know. I gotta check that out. And. I did particularly enjoy Skarsgård as Pennywise mm. in both films. Yeah, I think he was a lot of fun whenever he showed up too on the screen. The and one last thing too, I want to ma- ma- mention, Matt. I can't think of a more perfectly look-alike cast film in memory. I mean, they yeah. really nailed what these kids would have looked like when they were older. I think. Right. Yeah, I may did. have gone more with Amy Adams instead of Chastain, perhaps. Okay. Or actually, maybe even more Bryce Dallas Howard. Maybe, but yeah. Still, outside of that, I mean, some of them, they look like older versions of these kids, clearly. I think the biggest one, too, was uh, the guy who played Eddie, right? I mean, yeah. that was just creepy. Yeah, even even Ben, like, you know, yep. obviously he looks very different. But even, but like his eyes and stuff, they're like eerily just like the kid's eyes. It's mm-hmm. really it's like they went and got his uncle to go play him like older him or something. Yeah. It was pretty creepy. Um, although I do like how you just listed off the four, three of the four of only like redheaded actresses in Hollywood. So. <laughs> well, Christina like Hendricks. Hela- that, well, that wouldn't work. I don't no, think. but I was thinking Ela Fisher. So I guess five, four, there's, there's five mm. uh, redheaded actresses. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I didn't. That Archie kid. Yeah, sure, but he's a. So that's, yeah, okay, sure. I, I do say that I don't. I is it is it just me or did it seem like Pennywise himself was not really in this movie that much? Like I feel like he his presence was there, but he wasn't there as much as he was in the first one. Well, we spent a lot of time dealing with the personal drama of a lot of the characters, right? Yeah. So I think that's part of it, and plus he takes on more different shapes and appearances in this film than yeah. his his regular Pennywise look. Yeah. Right? He's he's the old woman in that in the apartment. He's the Paul Bunyan thing. You know, he's all these different things in the film. Yeah. So I don't know. I think maybe just that even with its gargantuan length of 169 minutes. Nice. Uh it's still it's maybe one of the weaknesses is that it may focus too much on the drama, but it's also right. could have been, may have been one of the more interesting aspects of it. Right. It's just I think that's where it it slows down a little bit too much and loses any which one I'm looking for it loses any momentum yeah. in regards to any real scares or frights unfortunately. And there's there's a lot more apparently that he excised from the film that he wants to put back in. Um, that's right because they're going to do an yeah. HBO version for so only for HBO Plus is it Max HBO Max whatever it is. Uh, HBO Plus yeah okay so not HBO Now or whatever no, HBO yeah. Go. If you subscribe yeah. to that, you'll be able to see like the full, like, is it like three and a half, four hour version of the film or something like that? Are they going to do like a super cut? They're going to mash the whole damn thing together yep. and have you sit the there plan. for six hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess they announced the other Skarsgård kid is going to play, um, what's his name there? Flag. They're doing a, uh, is it Hulu, CB? I can't remember. One of the other services now. I think, is it's, doing... I think it's. I think it's CBS. I think it's CBS. Yeah, it is. It's right. CBS All Access is doing the stand. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Which of the scar guards? The the tall one. The, the tall, tall one? Han- the super handsome one. The tall, super handsome one. Okay. Yeah, the guy played yeah. Tarzan. Oh, he. Oh, yeah. He right. He did play Tarzan. He's been in a lot of things lately. 
Yeah, okay, okay, very good. I do just want to say one more thing. Please. There weren't a lot of scary images in this, but that scene with the eyes, the glowing eyes of the kids in the, uh, the storm drain, that gave me chills. That was pretty scary. Hmm. That was yeah. a pretty scary little little image. Yeah, except then all, well, yeah. I agree. Though I, my, I may, like I said, have enjoyed the homage to my one of my all-time favorite films the most. Mm. I don't want to ruin it too much, <laughs> but even though we basically have spoiled it. Well, it could be you don't know what part of your favorite film, though. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. Well, yeah, it is because we gave away the line. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we did say the line, didn't we? Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. So there you are. What are you yeah. going to give it to as a grade? Uh, I was vacillating. Oh, good one. I, I think... Your your discussion with my discussion with you almost made me bump it up a little bit, but I think I'm gonna have to go back to my initial gut reaction as a C plus. I was, I think I was, re- I mean i I had an okay time watching it, but I I was hoping to get more out of it than I did. That's too bad. I gave it a B minus, which is just below the first film. We both gave it Bs. Yeah, chapter one. Mm-hmm. So if you've had a chance to see it, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback. At the first run.com. This is currently playing in theaters. Are you going to watch the HBO Plus version if it's somehow available at some point? I mean, I, I guess if it's somehow available and I'll have to put a lot of effort into it, I'm not going to go get an HBO Now subscription just to watch or it. Plus or Super Duper whatever it is. Whatever yeah. it is. I've got sure. enough Super Duper stuff. I got a Disney Plus thing to buy, apparently. Yep. And then Apple TV's coming out now. They made their announcement yesterday. I think that one's going to be like five bucks or something. And oh, really? free. If anytime you buy an Apple device, you get a year free. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't know how long that's Whatever going. Whatever, girls. Yeah, we'll have to see what's on it. Yeah, exactly. There's a Momoa thing. That's all I know. Oh, well, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> My man. We need those as a drop. I don't know why I don't have those as drops. <laughs> Instead, all I have is classics like... You son of a bitch. Anyway. The 80s, bud. <laughs> let's spend a few minutes and listen to me drone on about the Nightingale. Sing a song. The one for me. I wish I were on yonder hill. We don't want no trouble. That's just the way, isn't it? You don't want trouble, but sometimes trouble wants you. There I'd sit and cry my fill. Get me to the soldiers that came by this morning. It's too dangerous. Up north, they kill us. Sure you want to follow him? And every tear would turn a man. They close. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I don't want no trouble. But that's all you're going to find. The Nightingale, the latest film from Jennifer Kent, she wrote and directed it, who gave us, I think, the great Duke. Which is when a horror film is not what you think it is. So she returns now with The Nightingale, set in 1825. Aisling Franciosi plays Claire. She is... This is this is in uh, a British penal colony, Matt, in uh, Australia. And she is a... She was raised... She was basically an orphan, and she had to steal to kind of survive. And she was incarcerated, and she was kind of on a work release program whatever you would call it nowadays and she's working in this camp where a bunch of the uh, British soldiers are and she's recently married with a child 
and the uh, lieutenant there has taken a shine to her and abuses her basically and then one night things go wrong and her husband speaks up saying you gotta let her go she's done her time give her a letter of passage wherever the case may be so we can move on and start our lives together the lieutenant refuses shows up at their house one night and things go horribly wrong and then she is then on a quest for revenge to kill those soldiers this film Matt is an absolutely brutal revenge film but with a voice not just a feminist kind of take on revenge movies it's not like well revenge which we saw was it earlier this year or at some point last year uh, i don't remember if it was earlier this year or last year i think it was 18 but this one is what's fascinating about it is that it's equally cruel and full of rage and then also poetic and even graceful at times this woman enlists the help of a guide named Billy, who is an Aborigine. He's a local. And there's obviously, this is now during the, you know, the imperial kind of encampment or whatever it is of Australia, where they're, they're in a penal colony. And there's, so there's lots of, there's a racial tensions between them. And, but he's helping her kind of find these soldiers as, as she basically hunts them down. And then things start to change and her relationship with him changes how she looks at things when she does. I I just, there's so much I want to say, but I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Uh, Aisling Franciosi really brings some, I would say, this really remarkable depth to her character. She has this tunnel vision quest map that she's determined to complete this this revenge that she she has to do this, which slowly widens this vision that she has as she relies on Billy, played by Bekali Ganabar, who is fantastic as well. And when she's actually confronted with what she's doing and the impacts of it, her views and things kind of start to shift. And then also, too, there's the view of everything and the perspective of Billy and having to help these soldiers and these white people while they're there slaughtering his people. It is... There is so much going on in this thing. It is fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I think it is a superb follow-up to the Babadook. And it's may I'm concerned it may be a little slow for some people at times. It is long. I think it's like two hours and 15 minutes or something like that. Yeah. So it does take a bit. It, t- it meanders a little bit at times. But the images are always gorgeous as they're going through the bush. And it's also there's... Oh, there's also she's just some great usage of color how dark and gray the film is as she's on her quest and as everything starts to shift you know or the 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 um the what's the word i'm looking for not the pastels but the i'm blanking now the palette changes and gets a little brighter until the way the film basically ends and it is it is great uh, I'm giving the Nightingale an A minus. I really like this thing, and if you've had a chance to see it, see it. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. This is currently playing in theaters, though I think by the time this show is posted, it'll only be getting a few showings a night. So if you have a chance to see it, you should definitely check it out. You're gonna, ha- you should catch up with it, Matthew. I think you might really like it. Okay. So let's add it to the list. There it is. I know. God. This gets longer and longer. Let's spend a few minutes then and talk about what's coming up on Blu-ray and DVD this upcoming Tuesday, September 17th. Who are you? The better question is, 
Who are you? Are you a scared little girl who answers to a man in a chair? Or are you the most powerful creature on the planet? I don't know who I am. Yes, you do. You're the girl who everyone abandons. Maybe they had good reason. Because what's inside you? You're afraid of it because you think it makes you bad, evil. All the words you've been taught to keep you in line. Words created a very long time ago by men with very little minds. They can't begin to comprehend what you are. Even your ex-men. You can't. So there's a clip from the final film in the 20th Century Fox X-Men franchise, Dark Phoenix. A film that's not as bad as you think it is. Mm. It's reasonably entertaining. It's not great, but it's much better than Apocalypse, Age of Apocalypse. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. If you get it from Best Buy, you get a steelbook. Walmart has a six collector cards included with it. And then Target has a custom art and poster. And you should check it out. It's actually pretty good looking. If I were to actually want to buy this... That's the one I would get. Includes five deleted scenes with optional commentary by the director, a scene breakdown of the Fifth Avenue sequence, audio commentary as well, and some other stuff. I don't know if you need to buy this. If you're an X-Men fan, rent it, and maybe that's good. I don't think there's a high rewatch value in this bad bear. But it's not the catastrophe that everybody says it is. All right. Candy Corn. On Halloween Eve, Matt, local outcast Jacob Atkins is carelessly murdered. A vagabond carny named Dr. Death takes matters into his own hands bringing Jacob back from the dead to creatively seek brutal revenge on his killers. Reminded me of Zombie Nightmare, which is a all-time great Mystery Science Theater episode, if you haven't seen it, with Adam West and Tia Carrera. Listening to Crow wax on about Tia Carrera is an all-time favorite. Oh, was that Tom Servo, right? Was Tia? Yeah, because Crow was Kim Cattrall. That was his <laughs> crush. Kim Cattrall, Kim Cattrall, Kim, 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 Kim Cattrall. You were in Mannequin, and that was a really good movie. I could go on. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing the John Waters. His first studio film, Polyester, includes a new really stored 4K digital transfer supervised by Waters. An audio commentary ported over from the 1993 Criterion Laserdisc. I I had no idea that Criterion had originally released this at some point previously. And a new conversation between Waters and critic Michael Musto and some other new interviews as well. Criterion is also releasing Clooney Brown, a free-spirited parlor maid, and a Czech refugee super surprise, an English village with her unconventional ways. A new 4K restoration of that, along with a new conversation between some film critics on the unconventional female characters and Ernest Lubitsch's films. This is a Lubitsch film. And then the Lubitsch Touch, an interview with film scholar Bernard Eichenschitz from 2004. I did not swear there. And more. There are all, you know, all the Batman films, at least at the... The Tim Burton era films, right? Okay. Uh, they're all individually available right now in 4K. Now, though, you can get the box set, which seems backwards to me. Don't know where mm-hmm. they do a box set first, and then they'll release the individuals later. Right. Well, now the box set's out. And Best Buy has an exclusive steel book version of it, just in time for the holidays, maybe. Arrow is releasing Hills of Eyes Part 2. Sadly, this is a sequel to the original which is not terribly good either. It's a brand new 2K restoration from the original film elements and a whole bunch of stuff. Arrow really went out. So if you're a Hills of Eyes Part 2 fan, 
This set looks really cool. I am just not a fan. They're also releasing Who Saw Her Die, starring former James Bond George Lazenby. It's a brand new 2K restoration of that film, as well as newly translated English subtitles from the Italian soundtrack, a new audio commentary, and more. Arrow is also releasing the film Prey from 1984, I think it is, Matt. You ever heard of Prey? No, yeah, supposedly this was filmed like in 79, 80, didn't get released until 84, uh, but it's supposed to be a spiritual cousin to like all the slasher films from the early 80s and is like one of these lost films that never has been released on video before that's supposed to be good. Okay. The Collector's Special... Yeah, the special edition is released is limited, I should say, to three thousand units, and there's three versions of the film included. There's a theatrical cut for the United States, an international cut, and then a composite cut of both of those, and that's only going to be available on those initial three thousand units. It's a brand new two K restoration of the filmmaker approved U S theatrical cut from the original camera negative, two commentaries and four interviews, and a two K restoration of the international cut as well. The composite cut combines footage from both, as we said, and there's an extended outtakes reel, including 45 minutes of never-before-seen outtakes. Twilight Time is releasing The Tall Man and Whirlpool, and your straight-to-DVD pick of the week, Matt. This is an interesting one. Media Blasters is releasing Lust of the Dead. Are you familiar with Lust of the Dead and its interesting history here in the United States? No, no, I am not. So why don't you drop some knowledge on me? So it's a trash terror trilogy is what's referred to here in the advertisement. But it's basically a Japanese, I think it's Japanese, uh, maybe Korean, I think it's Japanese, uh, horror film where zombies have sex with you and then that's how you become a zombie. And it's basically a horror sex film series. They're basically softcore pornography. <laughs> okay. If not closing in on hardcore what's interesting about it is they were actually all available on netflix for like a month really okay yeah. and then people complained and they got taken off okay uh i watched because dave was actually on the show back then he's like have you seen this so he told me about it and i watched it and it's it's crazy it's all really right. weird the effects are dodgy it looks really on the cheap it's all about kind of just ridiculous gore and lots and lots of nudity Okay. So, if you're a fan of the series, though, you can now get it, I think, officially legally here in the United States as part of this trilogy. <laughs> Which would we be streaming this week? I'm going to recommend a simple favor, a modern noir comedy thing um, that was uh, that came out a couple years ago, starring Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. I was expecting something more of a straight-up kind of like noir whodunit kind of thing, and it turned out to be something way, way different, and um, it was quite enjoyable. So you should check it out. It's available on Amazon Prime, and I think on Hulu as well. I really like The Simple Favor, and it's a Paul Feig film. Mm, it is. And uh, Blake Lively is great in this, as is Anna Kendrick, but Lively is a lot of fun in this film. That's a good pick. All right, Matt. Are you ready? Are you sitting I'm down? ready. I we am, now, obviously. We're gonna, oh, boy. It is now time to talk about the penultimate film in our French New Wave marathon, Shoot the Piano Player. Hey, Monsieur Charlie! Ça me gênait un peu d'en parler devant les autres. Vous pouvez me prêter un peu de fruits jusqu'à demain? Bien sûr. Tenez, voilà. Merci. Accompagnez-moi un peu. Je ne pas tellement rentrer seul la nuit, Monsieur Charlie. Appelez-moi Charlie tout court. 
D'accord. Mais appelez-moi Lena. Pourquoi Lena Parce qu'Hélène et Lena et puis Lena. All right, Matt. I know you've been really, really enjoying this marathon so far. It's, I really, I'm, I'm really glad you picked this one out. I'm glad. So in this version, this film, we have a washed-up classical pianist who basically bottoms out after his wife's suicide. He is playing, he's basically playing piano in a dive bar in Paris, and there is a waitress who has fallen in love with him, and the two of them kind of have this whirlwind affair, but he gets sucked into this underworld because his brothers, who are in trouble with gangsters, they used to be bad guys, and they straighten themselves out, but they make a bad decision, and he gets sucked, he gets sucked back in, or dragged back in, whatever Al Pacino says, and... Every they time. pull me back pull in. Me back. Thank you. And things go horribly wrong for all involved. Matt, I actually had a lot of fun with this. And you mm. did too, right? I will say it was the most enjoyable of the films that we have watched so far. I actually had a decent time watching this. I think a lot of that has to do is the most... Um, I think it's the least experimental of the films. Um, mm-hmm. It's got some gorgeous wide shots. Um, and I think that's, I believe in doing some research for this, that was kind of one of the things that it was known for. But it's got a structure that's much more narratively cohesive um, and is something that you're more used to. It's it's uh, it's essentially, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's an homage to noir films and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's it's something I could I could get behind. I don't know... I guess that just means I'm not up to about hip with 70 year old avant-garde films, but I guess that's just me, but I did. I did enjoy this. I did enjoy this. That's good. Whew. All right. That's one out of four so far. <laughs> is, and I just want to ask is Truffaut like, is he just, is he associated with every French film in the, in the French new wave? Cause I, you know, Jean-Luc Godard did the last one, but I think Truffaut wrote it or something. So, like, is he just involved in every single one of these films we're going to watch? I Pardon my ignorance, but I think he is, like, one of the... He's, like, the godfather of all this stuff, right? So, or okay. is it Godard? I can't... Man, I really got to get up It must be Truffaut the because of, this. of the four films we've watched, he has directed three of them, and he has written... or at least, Yeah, at least written one of them. Well, that's, more, that's probably just more poor planning on my part. <laughs> I'm just trying to pick out some of the most popular ones. Gotcha. Like, I'd like to do Elevator to the Gallows because it's supposed to, it has a fantastic Miles Davis score. But I think maybe that's Truffaut too. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed this as well. I think it's a very enjoyable film noir. I think it does a great job of balancing kind of thriller, romance, and drama genres in this thing. It has an interesting, I think, slightly off-kilter score. That kind of keeps the film bouncing along for its tight 82 minutes, which I think you must have really enjoyed. I did. Uh, I enjoyed Truffaut's style in this, his his use of language, and how all, a lot of times it's... There is... So if you're not familiar with with uh, noir films, especially like the Marlowe tough guy movies, right, where everything's very stylized dialogue, I think he has his own version of that in this film, which I thought was fun and interesting. I almost feel, though, that the film is more, for me, Matt, was more about atmosphere and style than it was telling a compelling narrative. Right. I think it was interesting and fun, but I enjoyed kind of the hipness about it. You know, I I wouldn't have considered uh, Charles Aznavour a a typical leading man, but... (laughs) He's still fun to watch on screen, and I think the film the film moves well. I, I I had a lot of fun with it. It there is 
I, I think this is the first time a cutaway was used in a film. Mm, okay. And it like, is genius. I yeah. laughed out loud at yep. that because I had no idea it was coming. And me neither, obviously. It, it floored me. I thought it was absolutely because I'm watching this thing like late the other night. It must have been like 11, 11 30. And I left that, I let out that my signature, <laughs> you know, really loud laugh. And Did you wake up the house, everybody coming in? Yeah. So, yeah. I, but I almost feel like, yeah, I, there were times I felt like Truffaut may have been more concerned with the images being relayed uh, than telling a riveting narrative. Well, it's not fair. Well, well, it, it is interesting. It is interesting. Well, he, let me just ask you this. It I mean, along though, it is breakneck in its pacing is, at times. Is any of the films we watched? Can I challenge you a little bit on this? Yeah. Have any of the films we watched been? I think all of them have been more concerned with the with the images than telling a compar- a compelling narrative. I don't know. I found the four hundred blows to be really engr- okay. engr- engrossing. Yeah. Okay. Maybe the four hundred blows, but I mean, still, I think that's still style much more over substance maybe i think that's that's a running theme of these things especially the last we watched yeah overall i think the film though is more concerned about being cool funny and and kind of relaying what it means and what it looks what it's what it is to be lost Mm. which is what charlie uh or edward is going through here Mm -hmm. so yeah no i i thought it was a lot of fun it was really interesting it was very enjoyable it was a good week for me. I, I enjoyed it too. I don't know if you could really enjoy the Nightingale, <laughs> but <laughs> you experienced uh, the Nightingale. Yes, but I enjoyed this as well. I'm giving Shoot the Piano Player a B plus. What about you? I'm actually going to give it a B. Pretty close on this one. Nice. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other thoughts about Shoot the Piano Player? Not really. I think of the ones we've watched, if you guys are keeping score at home and you're interested in jumping into the new wave French films and you're, let's just see what Chris and Matt have to say. It's going to be one of those five. This would be my recommendation for your contender so far. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Three of the films, 400 Blows, Shoots the Piano Player, and Jules and Jim. He uh, directed all three of those. So did Godard direct the last one that I'm going to have to go on a hunt to find or... Is that Truffaut again? Yeah, Godard did Alphaville. There you go. <laughs> so it was a wide breath. And he wrote it. So there was like there's no... Uh, no Truffaut? Oh, okay. Then this is probably going to be the best one. Truffaut influence on you. <laughs> so who did Elevator to the Gallows? Because that was in contention at one point. Maybe when we do round two next year, right? Oh, yeah. Cannot wait. Oh, yeah. Louis Mal, which we haven't okay. done any of his films. Okay. So that's uh, that's not cool of us. Way to go, Chris. Way to go, Chris. Mm-hmm. My Dinner with Andre. There's a classic film. I only can think of Community when I hear of My Dinner with Andre. Have <laughs> <laughs> you seen Shoot the Piano Player? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. I'd like to hear from you. Let's be friends. So what's the last one, Chris? Remind Alphaville. me again. Alphaville. Okay. Alphaville. i just like to point out it's not available on any streaming service, and I've been scouring the local library. So just for you, I'm going to have to go drive really far to go get a DVD copy of this thing. You can't rent it on, on one of your services for like five, four or five bucks? It's not uh, I, didn't see, I didn't see anything, but I'll, I'll have to look. Save yourself the gas money? Yeah, I guess so. I only have it on DVD. I think I told you I bought it at the library for a buck they were selling. There you go. There you go. So good times. All right, Matt, let's spend a few minutes on possibly the dumbest idea I've ever had for a top five segment. Let's talk about something that's entirely visual and show you our five favorite horror movie posters. Frank? Yeah, kid. 
What's the weirdest thing you've ever saw in here? Kid, I have seen weird things come and I have seen weird things go. But the weirdest thing I ever saw just had to cap it all. Oh, yeah? <laughs> What's that? Let me ask you a question, kid. Did you see that movie, Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one where the corpses start eating the pupil, right? Sure. What, what about it? Did you know that movie was based on a true case? It's true. That really actually happened. It was in a morgue in Pittsburgh. Okay. And it was supposed to be a gas that they put on marijuana plants or something to kill him. And uh, it broke somehow, got into the morgue at this hospital, and it reanimated everybody. Oh. At least that's the story in the clip from that film, The Return of the Living Dead. Right. Which is an honorable mention for me, an all-time great poster. There's two of them, actually, I'm fairly fond of. The one with the punk rock people standing behind the tombstone and the one zombie yeah. sprayed The Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. And then there's the other one, what is it, with the uh, just the ghoul zombie face floating up. Or is that part two that they use that one in? Either way, I have always kind of liked the Return yeah, of the Living Dead. Yeah, Return of the Living Dead... Um... I think it's, I yeah, it's when, part two that has the zombie cloud face over the cemetery. Sorry. When it came out, I remember having fun with it, but I revisited it much later as a much more sophisticated human being. And mm. uh, it's not hold up. It does not hold up that no. well, especially uh, the, the zombie striptease in the middle of the, uh, <laughs> in the middle of the, the graveyard. That's interminable. It just seems to go on forever. I recently bought that from our the uh, Groundhouse ground, Groundhouse. I'll get there. Yeah. Grindhouse video here in Tampa. Check it out, okay. folks, and look them up online. They have a fantastic selection of stuff. And I was able to pick it up used there for like 10 bucks or something on Blu-ray. The new Scream Factory release. Okay. I have not watched it yet. So I'm planning on... I want to do something for Halloween this year. Okay. And I think I want to do like a first-run flashback. And watch old horror films that I have not seen in a long time. And okay. see how they hold up. Like, the one for me is, like, The Ring. I don't think I've seen that since it came out. You okay. know, and then um, Return of the Living Dead would be good. That would be fun. I recently bought the, uh, all the Wreck films. Scream Factory put out a Wreck box set. I haven't seen parts three and four, though I hear they're not that good. But parts right. one and two are excellent. Mm-hmm. And I haven't watched those since they came out. I don't know. And some new stuff. I'll pepper in some new stuff, too. Like, I wanted to see the... Uh, Ghost Stories, that English kind of anthology when they came out last year with Martin right. Freeman. Okay. So there's a bunch of stuff. Either way, Matt, why don't you go ahead and start everything off? What is your fifth favorite horror movie poster? Okay. So my fifth favorite horror movie poster is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Not the one where it shows the woman on the meat hook and the kind of one that you've seen everywhere, but the one where it shows Leatherface kind of running against the uh, silhouette of the, or the setting sun and he's kind of in relief. I always just thought it was very creepy and it was very evocative to me as a uh, young boy when I had seen this as like, because I had this expectation that this was going to be the most gory, most terrifying movie I'd ever seen. And I was actually really nervous when I mm-hmm. put it in for the first time when I was like 15, 16 years old. And I think uh, the poster had a lot to do with that. It, you know, I was not familiar with that image until it popped up like on the D, one of the DVD releases years, mm-hmm. like maybe even five, six years ago. I was always familiar with the one with him 
in front of the door or is it the, with, with the woman on on the hook? That's the right, one that yeah. I'd, I'd always known. Of course, I know it's cliche at this point. Everybody knows it, but it is actually surprisingly does not have a lot of gore in it at all. No, it doesn't. It's more of what Hooper is able to relay to you with what you don't see. It's one of the most effective hidden gore kind of films that you'll ever see. It's, it's just the whole thing is just terrifying and it's all mood and pacing and how he shoots it and it is because it basically almost runs like a documentary is why one of the reasons why yeah that's why it's so effective is because it seems so real like it seems oddly real for at least the majority of it until the the weird the weird the rest of the family shows up so yeah (laughs) yeah agreed my number five then is a film that terrified me as a kid though i never saw it I didn't see it until probably my early 20s, but that poster at the video store freaked me out. And that is the Silent Night, Deadly Night one, where you see the Santa coming down the chimney. He's got the bag of toys, but he's got the axe in his other hand outside of the chimney as he's going down it. And uh, just the thought, because it's, it's not only that Santa Claus is coming to kill you, but it's the it's the invasion portion of it, right? He's gonna come down the chimney, but he's not bringing you toys. He's coming to cut you into pieces. And uh, I just think that was a fantastic poster. And for the time too, I remember all the hubbub about that thing where parents and stuff were all freaked out. They wanted a band because it just was gonna freak out kids, like it did with me. <laughs> so much so I never watched it until I was a a, a very old adult. So if but it's a great one. I think. Very good. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Silent Night, Deadly Night. Ah. No. Christmas horror movie marathon in, in honor of a terrible black Christmas movie that's coming out? I hope not. I like the people involved with that film. I hope it's not. Yeah, I didn't watch the trailer. I, so. The trailer played before it, so I had no choice but to watch it, and it looks awful. It's one of those trailers that literally spoils every twist in it. That's what I heard. Like It reveals yeah. a whole bunch of stuff. It does. That's why I've been avoiding it. Yeah. Go ahead. Not what do you good. Got? No good. Really bad for you. Uh, not good. Believe me, not good. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Number four is a poster. So just seeing it as a, again as a young kid, um, it is a kind of large field of blue, kind of a darker blue, looks like water. And there's a hand coming up out of it and a woman trying to get away. It's the Evil Dead poster, the original Evil Dead poster, where it's dragging her down. That is a very evocative image. I thought it was going to be a very scary movie. I thought it was going to be a very um, serious movie. And I was incredibly wrong. That is some false advertising as far as what you're going to get when you actually watch that film. But that that poster is is everywhere. And it's it's out there for a reason because it's uh, it's incredibly well done. I'm not familiar with it. My no? number four is the original Halloween. Okay. With the hand wrapped around the knife as it tr- yeah it changes into like the jack-o'-lantern. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize until two weeks ago that if you look at the hand holding the knife, there's a screaming face in the hand. And now I can't not see it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever noticed that either. I'm gonna have I to didn't go notice it. Somebody pointed okay. it out online on the Twitters. And I'm okay. like, son of a gun. So there you go. No, I actually, there's a, I've, I, you could push me to like Halloween's threes poster even more, right. but I don't right. know if that's because I'm a, such a fan of Halloween three. Yeah. But that's a, that's a great one too with the three kids walking and then there's like the witch kind of face in the background or whatever it is, the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good so one. That's a great one too. But I had to go with the classic, the original Halloween. Are you pulling it up right now? Yeah. I'm trying you to see find it? 
No. The knuckles. All right, let me look. Let me get closer. Oh yeah. Huh. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> now I see it. Now I can't. Now I'll never be able to unsee that. There you go. Like something out of the blob or something. Okay. Very good. All right. So my number three is uh, Creep Show. Now, not the one that everybody's seen with the Creep Master or whatever he's called sitting in the movie Keeper. theater. It's not the Crypt Keeper, right? That's Tales not from the, the Crypt. Yeah, that's Tales from the Crypt. Where he's kind of like pointing at the screen eating the popcorn. I'm talking about the one where it was a lesser known one, but it was it looks like the EC comic splash page where it's mm-hmm. got the kid reading the creep show comic in bed and he's kind of a standing outside the window i always like that one because i liked how it harkened back to kind of its roots as far as the easy comics the destroyer of youth um stuff so that's interesting i think i'm only really familiar with the one where they're at the they're the movie theater stub teller person right oh, okay I'm not, oh i see it now yeah you're right looking through the window yeah oh yeah now that is a good one i forgot all about that one Oh, that's actually, was it just a cover to the comic book adaption? Yeah, it is. But I mean, it's, it's, uh, no, it's, it's, it was an actual poster, but they did post it into the, into the comic. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Bernie Wrightson was a fantastic horror illustrator and just illustrator in general. Mm -hmm. My number three then is for a pretty good werewolf film. And that is Mm -hmm. the howling. Mm. With the claw coming through oh, the yeah, burlap or whatever it is, and you see yeah. the the werewolf kind of through the torn burlap. Yeah, I always thought that was a really effective one. It's a great image, and it is really scary. So yeah, that is a really good one. All right, so my what am I up to? Number two is a movie we talk about a lot. In fact, we talked about it a little bit in this episode. Is uh, John Carpenter's The Thing? I'm counting mm-hmm. as a horror movie, even though it's an alien. But it's just the kind of a guy in silhouette with the the burst of light coming out of his face. It's a it's a classic image. I don't even think I, there were, were there any other The Thing official The Thing posters because that's the only one I can ever remember when I see this film, and it's immediately um, I recognize exactly what it is as soon as it comes up. Yeah, no, that is an all-timer for me. I actually left it off my list because I felt it just would have been easily my number one. Okay. So is it, it's his name? Is it Dean Kurtzman? I can't believe I'm blanking on the uh, illustrator. I mean, he's done... It's Whoever did it is the guy who did the uh, Star Wars stuff. Like, all the classic film posters that people right. know, I believe it's the same illustrator. But, you know, that is a great one, too. I don't think there ever really was... There's been... Actually, no, there is one other one that's not as good. But there's been a lot of new ones in the last okay. five, ten years. Mondo... Mondo Tees, or I think just Mondo now, has done a lot of... Has commissioned a lot of great updated posters for that film, so... Okay. That's a good one. My number two is a little film called Evil Dead. I don't know what film Matt was talking about before. Right. But the first film is terrifying especially if you're watching it alone at the tender age of like 13 years old as a kid that thing freaked me the hell out and its use of having it the angle right the perspective being a little off kilter as well with the hand the arm coming up and and grabbing the 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 person by the throat it just really encapsulates everything that is going that you're about to see and is terrifying i still think the first film holds up i probably watch it every couple years and I, I could see if you watched it today now for the first time, it may not be as effective, but right. I mean, that thing is a trip and it is still one of my all time favorites. It's the first DVD I ever bought before I owned a DVD player. I owned a copy of the evil dead on evil dead on DVD. There you go. I haven't gotten the new 4k releases. I don't know if it's really worth it, 
but uh, I do have it on Blu-ray. I think I have it on DVD three times and Blu-ray twice. Yeah, that's a lot. You're giving Sam Raimi a lot of his money. In VHS, too. Yeah, there yeah, you go. VHS. Yeah, I see. I didn't see. Um, I saw Evil Dead 2 before I saw Evil Dead, and I saw it when I was like like seven or eight years old because somebody's older brother put it on and Ooh. had a sleepover and like terrified all of us. But when I ended up finally catching up with the Evil Dead for the first time, like years later, I think it didn't resonate with me as much because it's plot wise. It's so similar. So like, it seemed like to me, it was just kind of like a, a less effective rehash. So I think that's partly why it ne I never really connected with it. Like a lot of people do. Too bad. Yeah, I know it is too bad. All right, so my number one is The Exorcist. And I don't care what anybody says. I still find that probably the most genuinely scary movie, regardless of what your belief system is. It always kind of freaks me out because there are billions of people in this world who believe something like that could actually happen. Um, and it kind of like, you know, the dark places at night when you're sitting there like thinking about it, it's more like, well, what if you're wrong? Um, so that's really the scariest part about that and just the kind of evocative image is just completely classic with the light coming down on the priest as he approaches the house as a, the light of, of the evil coming down on him and, and underneath the the light uh the street light it's it's fantastic it's it's really my favorite horror poster yeah i i thought about putting that on my list for a while but then i was like well all it is though is a screenshot of the film Mm. It's all it is. It's, just, it's a picture. It's somebody grabbed the still from the movie and turned it into a poster. Now, granted, it's still a, a striking image, right? And deserving to be a poster. But I didn't. It's not a separate work of art for me. So that's why okay. I ended up uh, not being on the list. So my number one though is Rosemary's Baby with Mia Farrow. I okay. think that is a stunning poster. Well, you have her, um, clearly. Well, it's just, you know, I don't want to spoil too much if you haven't seen it, but it is a fantastic film that does still hold up to this day, given, you know, depending on what you want, what you want to do about Roman Polanski. But still, with Mia Farrow in her, her profile shot there, its use of green, and then with the little baby carriage, right, and the, and the black on, on the rocks there, whatever it is, it is a striking image. And one of the most effective uh, horror film posters that I, I can remember. So that's why it's my number one. All right. Honorable Very mentions. Uh, yeah. So uh, Halloween. I also put Halloween 2 um, with the skull and the, and the pumpkin. Um, and I also I put uh, Fright Night with the vampire head in the clouds coming over the suburban house. I, I always thought that was a fun one. No, that's on my list too. I also had Lights Out uh, from mm -hmm. a few years ago when the taped up light switch, which I think mm -hmm. is uh, really clever. Basket Case, the Hen and Lauder film, that's a great poster. Alien, I think, yeah. is a really good one. Poltergeist, uh, Curtains, which is a little-known 80s horror film that's actually really good, but that's a really disturbing image. If you haven't, Google, go ahead and Google the Curtains poster. House of the Devil, Ty West's film, that's a pretty good one. Scream and Scream Again, the Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing film, where the, the person is basically, looks like they're dropped in a... And a beaker or a thing of acid and they're half disintegrated. That one always freaked me out when I was a little kid. Silence of the Lambs is a great one. Reanimator. The original Boris Korloff, the mummy film. That's mm. a good one. Uh, King Kong as well. That really captures how awesome and epic that film is. Uh, the Stuff, I think, is a great one. I don't know if you've ever seen The Stuff. I did. I, I watched it the other day on, on Shudder. I had never seen it before. It was, I, uh, it was interesting. It's a fun one. I think the stuff is a lot of fun, and it's a great poster. 
Jaws, I think, of course. Nightmare on Elm Street, that first one is really good. Yeah. And then Sleepaway Camp with that, that knife coming out of the water through the shoe yeah. and then the letter yeah. in the background talking with the kids writing home the mom about right. something horrible is happening here. So those are all ones that popped in my head. So those are some classics. There you go. So there. So everybody go out and take Google, Google image search, all of those and see what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, what's your favorite horror film poster? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Coming up next week, we are going to do Hustlers, which is currently doing reasonably well on the Rotten Tomatoes. The Goldfinch, not so much. Brittany Runs a Marathon is playing around here, too. That's supposed to be quite good, but I'm not going to have the time to go check that out as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to wrap up our French New Wave Marathon with Alphaville, and our French New Wave Marathon Awards will be next week as well, which will be really painful for Matt. Uh, Matt, <laughs> One Cut of the Dead is hitting Shudder this week, if it hasn't already. Ooh, uh, ooh I'm, I'm into that. You have to see that. Okay. I saw it this year as part of the, call it here, the film festival here in Tampa, and it is fantastic. It is a lot of fun. You are really going to enjoy that, so make sure you check out One Cut of the Dead, which okay. is not on Shutter now. Is supposed to be this week. Okay. And that's it. So uh, why don't you go ahead and check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Check us out on the website where you can actually look at our letter grades from all the films from a few years now. Eventually, I'll, maybe I'll get them all on there. That's a lot of research that the interns, I just don't know if they're up for. All right, why don't we go ahead, Matt, take an extended break, and we will see you all soon. You gotta be fucking kidding. <laughs>